my name's Toby Ford Weston. I'm one of the leaders here at Emmanuel. Um, it's a really special morning for me, um, just uh, seeing the, the youth band uh, just leads so well. Can we just give them a round of applause? special for me because I spent four years of my life uh, leading uh, them, so many of them, in the youth. So really, really proud of them, really proud moment for me. Uh, but we, we are continuing in our series uh, going through the book of Matthew. Uh, if you were here last week, um, you would have seen uh, Jesus uh, calm a storm. And uh, what we're looking at today is what happens only um, a few hours later in his life a few hours later. Uh, but before I read, I'm going to start off by asking you a question. And that question is this. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would it be? Okay. Some of you would want, I guess, uh, the ability to fly, right? That would be a pretty cool one. Or how about the ability to have super strength uh, when you have all the shopping in the car rather than toing and froing? I like to sort of get it all in one and sort of it sort of breaks your fingers and it's all crazy. But to have super strength, that would be really, really good. Uh, for some of us, I suppose the ability to, um, to print money, uh, that would be a pretty helpful one, perhaps in a particular your financial situation at the moment. For me, top of my list, uh, I would say would be, uh, well, quite frankly, the ability to grow a beard. I can't seem to grow one. And it's difficult when you live in Brighton. The struggle is real, people, because everyone has a beard. All of my friends have beards, so I've committed to praying about it. I fasted about it. Actually, we're going to be having a prayer meeting in midweek just to pray for my beard. You're all going to lay hands to see what God will do. A beard would be really, really helpful for me. It's the summertime, uh, so uh, the ability to rid Brighton of each and every seagull would be another one for me. Uh, me and seagulls, we have history. Uh, I don't like seagulls, okay? Everybody should know that by now. Um, Spurs fans, the ability to win a trophy would be a good one, I suppose. Ow, tough crowd. We are talking about superpowers. But in all seriousness, I think the ability to uh, be invisible, uh, that would be a really, really interesting one. Because if you're invisible, you are able to uh, fly under the radar. That would be a very uh, impressive power indeed. Uh, trouble is, uh, Satan thinks the same. Uh, Satan and the demonic, uh, they are real. Uh, They're real. Uh, Satan goes by a, a few names in the Bible. Satan or the devil or the enemy different titles, if you like, for the same personality, the same being. And he doesn't work alone. He has uh, uh, co-workers that uh, are generally called demons. Sometimes in the Bible, you, they're referred to as unclean spirits or evil spirits. Uh, the, they're real, and, and, and they're not kind of like the caricatures we, we, we see of them, perhaps, in the, in the media uh, with... Uh, moustaches and hoofs and a pitchfork, um, oftentimes a British accent. Have you, have you noticed that? What's up with that? They're not like that. They, they, they are real and they do have power. However, they love to be invisible. Their, their number one tactic is to 
make people not so much believe that they're around. In fact, there's a, there's a famous quote from a film. Uh, the film's The Usual Suspects. It says this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Invisibility. And so before we read the, the scripture that we're about to read, um, you need to know that the, the devil's primary tactic is more about the overt than the, uh, excuse me, more about the covert than the overt. Uh, amongst other things, his works are the work of uh, temptation, accusation, and lies. And you can't see these things, but, but they happen daily, and they are deadly. So if the devil's favorite tactic is to be invisible and for people to not believe in his existence, and if they do believe in existence, uh, to believe that actually he's really not doing much, the devil's second favorite tactic, I would say, is to be so visible in a person's life that they fear him and they see him in every situation. That's generally tactic one and tactic two, and both are powerfully at work in the scripture that we're about to read. So the scripture's gonna come up, it's gonna be read, then we'll pray, and then we'll get to work. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out and met Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord, for uh, your Holy Spirit to be sent to us now. Father God, I pray Jesus would show his utter authority pray, Lord, people would be one to you afresh and see you as the great lion that you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so as, as humans, we are mind and body and spirit. Mind, body and spirit. And really, mind, body and spirit, they're all linked uh, they're all linked. We, we as, a, as a culture, we know uh, quite a lot about the body. And we, we're knowing increasingly more about the mind. Um, but not a lot is known about the spirit. Uh, yet, arguably, the spirit is the most important part of the three uh, because it's, it's the essence of who you are. Some people might call it your soul. And we know that mind and body and spirit are, are linked and they impact one another because if, for example, you are worried about something, and let's say you're worried about a situation in your family, or maybe it's a situation at work, it comes out physically in your body. You, you, you may 
just have trouble sleeping. You may uh, get a migraine or a headache, or you may even lose hair. Why? Because the mind and the body are linked. Conversely, if you look at the body and if you're feeling uh, terribly unwell, it makes it difficult for you to, to, to think uh, coherently. Why? Because the body and the mind are linked. So what about the spirit then? What about the spirit? Surely it stands to reason that if the mind can be afflicted and the body can be afflicted, so can the spirit. And surely if the mind and the body and the spirit are linked, then if the spirit is afflicted, then that could play out in mental health issues or that could play out with physical health issues because we know that they're linked. Now, what I'm articulating, uh, some may say is modern thinking. Others may go so far as to say that's actually new age thinking. But I wouldn't say it's so much either of the two. I'd say, I'd call it Christian thinking. Uh, because Jesus, uh, the great physician, he understood this perfectly. Uh, because Jesus, he treated, when you look at the accounts of his healings, he treated mental health issues as mental health issues. He treated physical health issues as physical health issues. But he also treated spiritual issues, if I could put it that way, the demonic, as spiritual issues. And, and that's very much what we see happen in the passage. That's very much what we, we read. He, he deals with the spiritual issue, the, the demonic, and the whole person is set free. The whole person is set free. And so we, 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 uh, we are looking at uh, three passages, really, uh, Luke, Mark, and Matthew. We will focus uh, very much in Matthew because that's our text for today. But we also will be uh, looking at some of the details in Luke and, and in Mark as well. So the question needs to be asked, what is going on? <laughs> I admit this is one of the most unusual uh, passages in the, whole, uh, in the whole of the Bible. I get it. Uh, but up to this point, what we've seen is we've seen Jesus uh, show his authority over every category of situation that has presented itself to him. Every category. Um, so only a few weeks ago, we, we see Jesus show his authority in preaching. Uh, we see Jesus show his authority over the body, healing. And even last week, we, we saw Jesus show his authority over the, the winds and the waves. But now he, he's confronted with a, a new enemy, a kind of a different enemy, a very hostile enemy, and that is the power of the devil, the power of evil, the, the demonic, if you like. And, and the question is being posed, can Jesus deal with this, even this aggressive enemy? But what we need to know is that Jesus um, casting out demons was actually not um, uncommon. In fact, it was a, a regular part of his ministry. Even as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, even in the book of Acts, you see frequently Jesus do this, like many, many times. Uh, it, was, it was common for him. It's so common 
that actually in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he just says this. I love the way he puts it. He says to his disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. I love that. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Off you go. (laughs) It was, that was his, that's what he did. And he was instructing his disciples to do the same. So the casting out of demons and the opposition, that wasn't unusual. What admittedly was more unusual about this particular situation was the level of opposition that Jesus was dealing with. Uh, this, this was unusual. And we see, uh, we see that there are a number of signs that show that this is uh, perhaps a, a spiritual issue. Uh, we see through the various accounts um, where it's told in the Gospels, the three times it's told, compiled together, that the demonized men uh, were completely naked. Uh, this might denote a life of uh, a shame. Who knows? They lived amongst the tombs and in the desert. Uh, so they would be there isolating themselves. The people had to try, had tried to bind them with chains and shackles, but they broke free. So they had unusual supernatural ability. They had a fierce anger, it says. Uh, this wouldn't have been the sort of anger where you sort of stub your toe. Uh, th- this would have been kind of like a rage. Uh, it would have been frightening. And also, they were often cutting themselves. So there was self-harm involved. We don't know their background. We don't know if they dabbled in the occult, or or, or if they didn't, or or what happened. But we we, we know that they are in quite a state. And and perhaps the most clear and obvious um, suggestion that the problem is actually demonic here is, quite frankly, the fact that the demons speak on account of the man. It's almost like uh, the, the, the men's, uh, there are two, uh, personalities are so regressed and the multiple personalities of the demons uh, come and, and speak. And we know that there are many demons in uh, these men because when Jesus asked in one of the accounts what the man's name was, the demons answered with their collective name and said, Legion, for we are many. And a Roman legion was up to 6,000 soldiers. So this man and these men had many, many demons. I don't know if you've ever watched on television one of these programs where um, a a criminal is recounting the hideous crimes that they have uh, committed. Um, I I watched uh, one such program a few weeks ago with Piers Morgan. It was called Psychopath. I don't know if one, some of you caught it, but it's not, there are many. There are many like that on, on TV. And, you know, the, the questions are being asked to the, this evil, evil person. But as I was watching it, I was thinking, this, this man is allowed to be interviewed. What about the, the men and the women that no one is allowed to interview? that are so violent, distasteful, that perhaps they haven't even had human contact in years. Maybe they're even in solitary confinement. What about that category of person, which, which really is, would, have, would be the category of these two demonized men, the most evil of the most evil? 
And we know that these demonized men would have been evil. There is a clear, I think it's reasonable to deduce that because it says they were bound with chains and shackles. You don't bind someone with chains and shackles for leaving the toilet seat up. Uh, they would have done some violent acts. Uh, they would have been evil men, maybe uh, abuse, maybe multiple murders. The uh, description says they were often naked. We don't know. Maybe there was uh, sexual offences involved. We, we don't know what uh, evil, uh, horrendous crimes that they committed. But what we do know is these men, quite frankly, were monsters. These men were monsters, vile, evil, dangerous monsters. And Jesus loved them. And Jesus loved them. He loved them so much, he ordered his disciples the night before to get into a boat, to sail across the sea, to endure perhaps the worst storm the disciples had ever seen, to land on the shore just so that he can deliver and forgive these men. And we know this is what Jesus did because the way the scripture that we read ends and the, the first verse of the next chapter, which is Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, this is how it reads. And behold, all the city came to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. But you've just, you've just sailed over. You literally just come from your own city you sailed through the night, you've landed on the shore, you've healed and delivered these men, you've saved them, and now all of a sudden you're getting back in the same boat and going back from where you came from? What, what was the point? What a waste of time, Jesus. Not for Jesus. This wasn't a waste of time. He cared. He loves these two evil men. Who's the most evil person that you know? Who's the person or the people that you would say, they're just so far away from God. Like, gee, maybe God wouldn't even touch them with a barge pole. They're just, they're, their lifestyle that they're living, it's just so against everything that, no, I just, I just can't see it. Like, they're just, oh, I, I don't know, there's no hope for them. Maybe your mind turns to evil dictators, perhaps men or women that have committed war crimes. I tell you, I, I think that these two demonized men, perhaps, arguably, were more and are more far gone than the people that perhaps we're thinking about. Yet, Jesus makes a beeline for them. Why wouldn't Jesus make a beeline for the people that we're thinking about? And maybe, maybe you yourself, you have 
Maybe you yourself have struggled with this. Maybe you're here and you have struggled with the demonic. Maybe there's been um, some unusual uh, pressures on you. Things perhaps you've not even told anyone. Maybe you felt, if, I, if I've told someone, if I tell my small group leader or, or a friend, may, maybe I'll, people think I'm weird and I just, I don't want to tell anyone. Maybe you're here and you've struggled for years. I tell you, it, it's not taboo. This stuff is real. It is real. And Jesus cares about those who are oppressed in this way. He cares. And because Jesus cares, as a church, we care. Every week we have prayer team after the communion that would love to pray with you about anything, even issues such as this. What's more, we also have a pastoral care team, men and women that are trained in this church to help and deal with situations like this. You only need to speak to your small group leader. And on a personal note, myself and my wife Nina, this has been something of a a 10-year journey for us. We've experienced some blatant, uh, obvious clear um, stuff at night, resulting actually only a few months ago in uh, deliverance, just like the Bible describes, just like in the Bible. And our testimony is that there is no case that is too difficult for Jesus, and that there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain break every chain. That's our testimony. What about the testimony of the demons? Because they are vocal. This is what happens. They cry out. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They're terrified. They're terrified. God shows up on the shore, Jesus, second person of the Trinity, and they are terrified. And what we see here with their confession is, I mentioned at the beginning that one of the works of the demons is to lie. And and, and one of the, uh, well, the person that they like to lie most about is the person of Jesus. Uh, They want, um, how shall I say, Uh, they, they, they want people to believe that he isn't who he said he was. They'd like to lie about his office as, and status as eternal son of God. So though demons are there and they spread lies every single day, um, ironically, their, their own Christology is utterly orthodox. And what I mean by that is their understanding of the deity of Jesus is extremely biblical. Their understanding. You see, they understand that they have lost. They understand that Jesus has won. They understand that Jesus won the battle decisively by going to the cross. They understand that scriptures like Colossians 2:15, where it says Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
They understand scriptures like 1 John 3, 8, where it says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. They understand that Jesus has total and utter comprehensive authority over them. They understand that those who believe in Jesus by virtue of their faith and being in him also too have authority over them. They understand scriptures like Luke 10, 19, where Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. They have seen Jesus before he came to earth in his heavenly splendor. They understand that Jesus rules and upholds the whole universe by the power of his mighty word. They have seen Jesus at the right hand of the majesty on high, God the Father. They know who Jesus is. And they are terrified. They understand a time is coming for them to be judged, and a time is coming for them to be sentenced, and they will be sentenced to eternal hell. There, they will not be the tormentors, but they will be the tormented, even as they have tormented all the peoples of the world since the beginning. Friends, the battle of the devil versus Jesus, the battle against good versus evil, it's not 50-50. I suppose that the devil would want us to believe it's a close-run affair. But it really isn't. Uh, To be sure... To be sure, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, calls the devil the the god of this world, small g, small g. But what we need to understand is the devil and all the forces of wickedness have been utterly routed at the cross. Utterly. (laughs) So much so that Jesus is able to dispel up to 6,000 demons with one word. Go. 6,000 demons move from the men, go into the pigs, run down the steep bank, and then drown in the waters. One word. But what's all this about pigs? (laughs) That's what you're wondering, probably. (laughs) What is going on with the pigs? Is Jesus anti-pig? I'm in Brighton, so this is probably what a lot of people are thinking. Does Jesus hate animals? No, he doesn't hate animals. He, he created the animals. Uh, but what, what's going on here is, uh, first of all, it's worth saying that Leviticus uh, chapter 11, verses 7 to 8, um, actually prohibit the Old Testament people of God from um, eating pigs or even really having uh, pigs because they were seen as unclean. They were unclean, right? Um, So pigs actually got a fairly good rap in the Old Testament because they were left alone uh, because the Jewish people didn't like them. Uh, So Jesus actually isn't, he's he's not anti-pig. So so what's going on here, I think, is ultimately um, uh, Jesus is showing how much he cares for people. Uh, This is what it says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 uh, onwards. Jesus says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So this is where we get the expression two for a penny, right? Two sparrows, one penny. So you can get two for one, right? We all like two for one, right? Anyway, I didn't mean to say that. Um, 
So the sparrows are, they're numerous, there's lots of them, uh, yet not one will fall to the ground apart from your father. Uh, this denotes Jesus, uh, uh, God's care even for the animals, that something that is so common, like birds of the air, actually God cares for so much so that if one falls from the sky to the ground, God has predetermined and ordained. He isn't care less, he's careful. But what's going on then? Jesus continues though. While he says that he does care for the animals that he created, he goes on to say this. Um, Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Uh, Jesus is saying that you, my friend, you are more valuable to him than, than many sparrows. And, and these demonized men are um, of more value to him than 2,000 pigs. And he's, he's not afraid to demonstrate it. He's not afraid to show it. But what we find interesting is, at one reading, we think the story is about the demonized men. And to be sure it is, but the focus of the story actually changes from the demonized men to the city and their response. Because where Jesus preferred people to pigs, the city preferred pigs to people. And not so much pigs uh, but more the profits that pigs produce. We read in one of the other accounts, there were 2,000 or so pigs that were there. So this wasn't just a, a person with one or two. Uh, this would have been a sophisticated uh, operation. And, and after the men are delivered and, and saved, no one comes to Jesus and says, thank you. No one comes to Jesus and says, that's amazing. No one comes to Jesus and falls down and worships him. Uh, on the contrary, they, they tell him to leave. We see that all along, that the the, the city, they were just as monstrous, really, as the demonized men. Just invisibly monstrous. The devil's favorite kind. They didn't care at all about the people. And and what we see is that the city, they, they would probably have had healthy bodies, healthy minds, uh, but they had an unhealthy spiritual condition. They didn't understand that their greatest need, everybody's greatest need, is deep spiritual healing that only comes from faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't see it. Instead, their response was actually the same as the demons. This is what they say. And behold, all the city come out to meet Jesus, came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Well, just as Jesus answered the request of the demons, Jesus also answers the request of the people, and he does leave. And, and to our knowledge, he never comes back to the, to the area. It's a really sad end. The people that thought the demoniacs, the, those that were oppressed by the devil, those two men were monstrous. They stayed in their unhealthy spiritual condition. But maybe you're here and you, you kind of get it. You kind of perhaps have said at one time or are saying now, like the city, go away, Jesus. 
leave me alone. I don't want you in my life. I, I don't want anything to do with you. Perhaps when conversation turns to, to Jesus at work or at school or wherever you go, uh, maybe your heart skips, uh, beats a bit faster. And you think, oh, no, I just don't want to hear it. Maybe you're here and you've avoided the Bible. Maybe you've avoided prayer. And you think, gosh, I just don't want Jesus. He just makes me feel uncomfortable. If that's you, I, I understand I really, really do. Jesus, he will make you feel uncomfortable. It's something of the, what we call the trauma of holiness. When, when you're confronted with Jesus, in this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, sometimes you think, goodness gracious, he is holy, he is other, he is different, he is unique, he is unlike any other person in the world. He is just higher, he is clearer. He, I, I just can't have him anywhere near me because I realise that I'm not perfect and it's just, oh, just please, just stay away from me, leave me alone. He makes me uncomfortable. I understand that. That, I would say, is a natural response. It's a natural response. But let me say this. The Bible describes Jesus... Indeed, as a lion. Perhaps no clearer in the whole Bible do we see Jesus as a lion than in these passages. We see Jesus roar here. And if you had a lion in your living room, chances are it'd make you feel uncomfortable. It's true. I tell you, Jesus is a lion. But I also tell you this. He is good. He is so so, so good. He, you can trust him. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. But it, ends, it all ends with more begging. This really is a story about begging. The demons beg Jesus. Uh, the city begs Jesus. And then we see in Luke's account that the, one of the demonized men begs Jesus. In Luke 38, 38 to 39, it says this. The man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. This former, now demonized man, was begging Jesus to be a disciple. He was begging to follow him. He was saying, please, take me with you. I picture this man being in the dust of the earth with his arms around Jesus' knees, begging, Jesus, please, Please don't leave me. I need you. I need you. Take me anywhere. I'll go anywhere with you. Please, I want you. I want more of you. I want you in my life. You're my saviour. You're the one I need. Begging. Why? Why such an extreme, undignified response? Well, they'd been set free. And he realized something of just how much he'd been set free from. He didn't care. He was willing to beg and wrap his arms around Jesus. So, so let me say this. If you're a Christian here, do, do you understand this? Do you know just how much you have been set free from? Do you know something of the weight of your sin? Do you know that the one to whom every knee will bow fell to his knees at the weight of the cross that he carried for you? Do you know that this great 
lion on the cross became like a lamb. Do you know that you have been delivered from a destiny that even the demons are terrified of? You know, Jesus, he has the authority to save and free people from the power of evil because he himself was plunged into the hands of evil. You see, Jesus was betrayed by an evil disciple. He was led into an evil trial. He was flogged by evil soldiers. He was condemned by an evil generation. He was crucified by an evil empire, all inspired by an evil enemy. Yet, completely in the will and plan of a good father. Therefore, Jesus delivering these two demonized men from the power of Satan and sin served to point to his greatest triumph at the cross where he defeated comprehensively the power of Satan, sin and death and with one of his last words would say, it is finished. And so, let's Let's not be too sophisticated to be like these former demoniacs, to be able to come to Jesus and, and, and kneel down and wrap our arms around his knees and tell him just how much we want him if you're here and you're a Christian. Perhaps you want to do that for the first time even today. Say, do you know what, Jesus? I need you. I don't care how I look. I, I realize that you have saved me and you have saved me if you have. You see, the people of the city, they didn't need Jesus, but our city does. If the band can join me, we'll pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who is the great lion, who roars on our behalf, who has... Uh, utter and complete authority over the forces of evil. It's not 50-50. You have already won the victory. And we, through faith, are in you. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray you just be increasingly helping us to enjoy the freedom for which Christ bought us. I pray you would even fill us with your spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to lead us into a prayer. Maybe there are some of us that would like, for the first time, um, to become a Christian. Maybe, maybe you're even in the camp that I just briefly touched on earlier, whereby maybe you've experienced some odd, unusual, maybe even frightening stuff. And, and maybe you realize, man, I, I need this Jesus. You can come, you can be saved and have your sins forgiven. Uh, so in your heart, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a line and you pray a line in your heart and then we'll, we'll worship and, and go into communion. So just 
close your eyes and just say this prayer with me if you want to become a Christian. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for living my life my own way. I'm sorry for going the way of sin. I'm sorry for any participation with Satan and his ways through sin. And I just choose Jesus. I want him more than anything else. I now, through faith, cling to him. Jesus, come into my life. Help me see you clearer. Fill me with your power. Set me free. In Jesus' name, amen.